Welcome to the sermon ministry of River Community Church, a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana. Our purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org. Beloved, please remain standing for the reading of the Word of God from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 to 23. This is the Word of God. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay. So, as we are in our series on the Apostle Peter, we come to one of the most significant events in the Gospels, certainly one of the most significant events in the uh, disciple Peter's life, and that is his confessing that Jesus is the Christ. This moment defines Peter's life. It becomes the, the explanation for why he is who he is in church history. And this confession that Peter makes, when any disciple makes it, becomes the defining moment in their lives. It becomes who we are. And it's not just a moment. It's not just something that we look back on and say, yes, I have done that. It is something that shapes us and defines us as those who confess Jesus as Lord. What is the significance of this event for us in our day-to-day -day life? Not just that it brought us into the kingdom, but it reminds us of who we are. And, and today as we look at this text, I want to stress that what we see here, 
when we apply it to our own lives, when we apply it to this situation, is that in confessing Jesus is Lord, we are able to know we are His. Knowing that we are His is the most important thing to know. Knowing that we are His tells us that we have belonging at all times. Knowing that we are His means that we always have hope. Knowing that we are His means that we are able to face each day with courage because we belong to the Lord. As we look at this text, if I were to summarize it in one sentence, I would say that this uh, paragraph of Scripture is here for us to know that, that this, that Christ uses our confession of Him as Lord to know that we belong to Him. And so, as we look at our lives, remembering Jesus is Lord is a constant reminder that we are His. And I don't want you just to take that away as a, as a simple single sentence. I want you to recognize that as we go through this text, there are four features of our confession that we can dwell upon to allow us to know at all times in any situation that we are His, that we belong to Him. How does our confession make us know we belong to Christ? Let's go through this text and let's look at four features. First, our confession makes us know that we belong to Christ because our confession is relational. Our confession is relational. To understand where we are in the, in the gospel story, this, this story of, of Peter's confession shows up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it all shows up in the same general place. It's, it is the transition point of Jesus' ministry of announcing himself and the kingdom of God in the region of Galilee to turning to decisively heading to Jerusalem where his ministry and mission of laying down his life for the sins of his people is commenced. And so this is the hinge point of the gospel message, of, of the, the story of Jesus. And it is significant that at this moment, just before Jesus is going back or headed down to Jerusalem, that this uh, uh, conversation happens where the disciples are finally asked after having walked with Jesus for a couple years at this point to put together what they know of Jesus and answer the question, who do you think I am? This is the passage that most uh, clearly separates the people or the crowds who are interested in Jesus for his healings or for his uh, 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 intriguing nature or for his teaching. And those who are disciples, those who genuinely are on the path of following him. When we look at this passage and we see that a confession, the first feature of a confession is that it is relational, we recognize as we separate people from disciples, 
what a confession is not. First of all, it is not academic. It is not an academic proposal of who Jesus is. Jesus asks his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And they answer back, well, some say John the Baptist. Some say a prophet. Some say Jeremiah. This some say statement reflects that it is a topic of discussion. It's a imponderable that is going around in the, in the public. They all are identifying that Jesus is somebody important, somebody on the rank of a prophet. But the way that the discussion is, is going, it's more of a debate or discussion. It's, it's academic. Who do you think he is? Well, I don't know. Maybe he's this. We recognize that when Jesus draws the bead on his disciples, he says, but who do you say that I am? He wants you and me to recognize that answering the question of who is Jesus is not academic. It is not an opinion that we carry or that we discuss. It is a, an answer, a conviction. Next, we note that when we recognize that a confession is relational, we recognize that it is not transactional. Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? When I say that becoming a Christian or confessing Jesus as Lord is not transactional, I am saying that in this statement, Jesus is, is not allowing us to treat becoming a Christian as a formula. I've done this. I've prayed this prayer. I've completed this little form in my Bible. I checked a box in a Bible tract. I came forward. These are not the things that Jesus is, is using to establish, are you a Christian? Are you a disciple? It is not a transaction. It is not something that you say, yes, I did that once. Jesus wants you to answer the question that he puts in front of Peter. Who do you say that I am? That is what it means to become a Christian, to answer that question as the apostle Peter does. And you recognize immediately the question, who do you say that I am, requires to answer it that you know him. Who do you say that I am? A, pro a, a confession of Jesus is Lord is a product of knowing him. You see, Jesus asks this question of his disciples, those who have been following him, listening to him, observing him, thinking upon his, his parables and his teachings. When Peter answers to him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he is saying something similar to when you ask somebody that you know, who do you say that I am? And you answer back, you are a friend. You are a friend. What does it mean to say to someone, you are a friend? It means that you know that person, that you've seen that person's dependability, that you've seen that person's faithfulness, that you've come to trust that person. 
You cannot say to someone, you are a friend, without knowing that person. Likewise, you cannot confess Jesus is the Christ and not know him personally. This cannot be an abstract response. It is something that has to come from the heart. It has to come from knowing. To confess Christ is to speak to him. He's asking the question. And speak of him as one that you know and trust and love. Jesus is asking his disciple, and his disciple is looking at Jesus and saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That statement is a statement built on knowing. Beloved, don't rest your assurance of salvation on whether or not you got stirred up in a worship service and came down an aisle or whether you signed a card or whether you prayed a prayer. Don't place your assurance in those actions, in those transactions. Why? Because the gospel tells you to put your assurance in something better, something more secure, and that is this. You confess Jesus as Lord because you know him. I don't look at my wife and say, you are my wife because I think of my wedding day. I look at my wife and know she is my wife because I know her day in and day out as my wife. And so when we confess Jesus and we have the feature of confession that is relational, there isn't question about whether your confession is genuine. Now before we go on to the next point, I want us to look at what Peter says. He says, you are the Christ. Peter specifically looks at Jesus and confesses that Jesus is the Christ. The name Jesus is important in our confession. But here's the thing. Jesus, the word Jesus, the name Jesus can be a, a sticky word for some of us. Some of us have a, a manner of talking about our faith almost to stay away from the word Jesus. To use the word Jesus is, 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 is challenging. Uh, sometimes there seems to be almost an, a, a, a holding back of the word Jesus. But we need to recognize that Jesus is the word that we need to confess when we confess Jesus is Lord. There is a preference in conversation to say God or Lord or other generic terms, but we need to know that it is in the name Jesus that our salvation comes. This is to, 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 to again emphasize that salvation is relational. You must know Jesus. You must confess Jesus. 
Listen to Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, Peter preaching. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men which, by which we must be saved. Beloved, are you comfortable confessing Jesus? He is the Savior. It is His name. It is the only name that saves. But look, it is the name that saves. There isn't a question about whether you're confessing Jesus, calling upon Jesus to save you, is, is going to save you or not. The, the word is clear. It is the name, the only name that saves. And so if you have come to a point of confessing, Jesus is my Lord, you know that you have a saving relationship with him. But Jesus wants us to know even more surely that we belong to him than the, than the fact that we have confessed his name. He wants us to know the second feature of our confession that lets us know that we belong to Christ, which is this. Our confession is God-given. Look with me at verse 17. Verse 17, after uh, uh, Peter pronounces, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, uh, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is a surprising response. Jesus hears Peter's confession, and the first thing that he says is, Good answer. And that good answer did not come from your flesh and blood. It didn't come from your own mind, your own reasoning. It did not come from your humanity. That is what flesh and blood means. Jesus is saying that your confession of me is not a product of yourself. Why would he say that? Why, why would he declare that this did not come from Peter, but came as a revelation from God? It is because humanity is not able to confess Jesus as Lord. That may be a shocking statement to you, but that is borne out multiple times in Scripture. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. He says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. How, how is that so? There's nothing about my mouth believer or unbeliever that can't pronounce the three words, Jesus is Lord, why is Paul able to say no one can confess Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit? Beloved, the reason that this is the case is because we are confronted with the fact that our own hearts have become so fallen, so hardened, and so given over to the corruption of sin 
that there is no innate love of God in our flesh and blood. There is no natural love of God in the mind of fallen man. That is the the meaning of these statements. Paul says it even more clearly in Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. He says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is a shocking verdict of the condition of man's heart. The words are not will not, the words are cannot. The ability to love God, to confess Jesus as Lord, is not in our flesh and blood. What this tells us, what Jesus is saying when he says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, is this, that to make the confession, you are the Christ, requires a new heart. Requires that God change your heart from hostility to him to love. Jesus says it is the Father that has revealed this to you. Beloved, do you, do you recognize that in the conversion and the confession of every believer in Christ is a miraculous event done by God? An event where a dead, stony heart is made alive. Where one who has been born into sin has been born again by the Spirit. It is an act of creation. Paul likens it to the act of creation in Genesis 1 when we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you, do you recognize what he is saying there? He he is saying that the human heart is as covered in darkness and as inert as the creation was in Genesis 1, 3 that required God to speak, let there be light for light to shine on it. So our heart in its flesh and blood is in darkness until God shines his light, his creating light to make the face of Jesus Christ beautiful and his gospel captivating. That happens for us to confess. That happens before we confess. That is what must happen so that we confess. Jesus is declaring here to Peter that you were made, regenerated, born again in, a, in, in, in the language of John. And that is why you now confess. What does this mean? Why is this such a, a, a great thing for us to recognize as we, as we dwell upon our confession and just know that we belong to God? 
means this. Your confession means more than just, I have claimed God. Your confession actually means God has claimed you. That is a far greater truth to rest in than your fallible heart and mind saying Jesus is Lord is to recognize that when I have said this, I have said this because God has placed it in my heart to say it. It is because God has moved in me and has claimed me for himself that I have claimed Christ. This is a powerful piece of, 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 of knowledge that lets us know that we belong to him. But let me give you a, 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 an example of this. When I was a, a young dad, one of the things I loved to do with each of my children was to train them to say the word dad. I would sit over them and just say, dad, dada, dada. And as they would make these odd gurgly sounds trying to imitate that. And eventually there came that point when each of my kids said, dad, dada, daddy. But here's the thing. They confessed, you are daddy. Because I had trained them. I had worked in their heart and prepared them and given them the, the, the instruction to know me as dad. Do you, do you realize that the same thing is happened when you are brought to the point of calling Jesus your Lord? What has really happened is that the Father in heaven has come to you before you even knew and starts proclaiming to you, my son is the savior of your sins. My son is your Lord. And when you confess, you are just like my child confessing dad from their newly formed lips. You are only becoming aware of what has already been done. Your confession is a, is a evidence of the prior love of God, which has made you alive and has claimed you. And we know that he has claimed us because he has put upon our lips the confession, Jesus is Lord. That is why Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one can confess Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit is such great assurance that those who confess Jesus is Lord are truly saved because that is a work of the Holy Spirit. But more, Jesus doesn't only want you to know in your confession that you have a relationship. He doesn't just want you to know that in your confession you have been worked on by God, that you have received the grace of salvation. He also wants you to know, third, that you will always belong to him. And our third recognition, our third feature of how our confession makes us know we belong to Christ, we see our confession is guaranteed. Our confession is guaranteed. Look at verse 18 with me. Verse 18 
I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. These are well-known verses, and they have a, a certain amount of controversy attached to them, um, which we can't completely avoid, but this is a sermon and not a Sunday school class, so we will be brief. In verse 18 is a verse that uh, has, has had a historic reading by Protestants and a different reading by Catholics, and I want to look at both of those quickly. As we see in this text, you are Peter. Peter is, uh, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, it's, it's the word rock. It's not actually a name. It's more like a, a title. Peter, Jesus is saying, you are a rock. Uh, that's like an attribute that, Peter, that, that, that Jesus is giving to Peter. And it's only because it became so associated with Simon that it became a name. But in its original utterance, it is, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. That is the most literal reading of verse 18. Now, it has been uh, common in a Protestant tradition to interpret this rock in the second part of verse 18 that I will build my church on as not referring to Peter, but is referring to Peter's confession. Unfortunately, that, that seems to strain and, and, and be question-begging uh, beyond what the text seems to say. The, the word Peter rock and this rock being side-by-side, side, the most natural and unforced reading is to see that Jesus is saying that Peter is the rock that he is going to build his church from. I think that that is the, the best way to handle the text. That is how the Catholic Church reads the text, but then again, they take that reading uh, to a place that it doesn't support. They want to read in that text that, that Peter is the archetype of, of, uh, of the Pope, and that there is an idea of successors to Peter in, implied in that text. But again, when we look at verse 18, Jesus is simply talking about Peter and the historical event of the church being founded. And so if we are going to read the verse literally and accurately, all that this verse is saying is that Jesus gave Peter the historical privilege of being the apostle who preached and brought the church into existence after the resurrection of Christ. This is a, a privilege that Peter had that we see fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, where he preaches the gospel, and that day 3,000 souls were saved. So I do not think that we can uh, endorse the classic Protestant reading. We do have to see it as the person Peter, but also we, we cannot endorse the, the view that Peter is, uh, that there are successors uh, of Peter in view there, because the text simply speaks of Peter and ends there. It is simply the historical privilege that Peter was given of founding the church. More importantly for us, though, is these words, my church. Jesus 
says to Peter, my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The words church, Jesus is not revealing or talking about a building. He is talking about the the word assembly. He is talking about the, the group of people that are the people of God. It was the word used in the Old Testament. And here in the New Testament, Jesus is saying, my church, my people. And so when we read the word church, we are not thinking about buildings. We are thinking about believers. Jesus is saying that, the, that, that my people, those who have confessed Jesus as Lord, will never be overcome by the gates of Hades. The gates of Hades will not prevail against my assembly, my people. The gates of Hades is just an expression for the word death. Jesus is saying, my church will never die. My church will never cease to exist. Death comes and claims everything, but it will not claim my people. It will not claim my church. This is a promise that Jesus makes to his band of disciples. He made it over 20 centuries ago, and we are still today living in his church, living witnesses that death has not prevailed against the church. The evil one has set all sorts of enemies to try and snuff out the church. But the church lives. And the church, being the people who confess Jesus as Lord, are given the assurance that the gates of Hades will not prevail against us. This promise depends upon Jesus being the Lord of history and the Lord of Of the resurrection. And so, what Jesus is saying to those who confess him as Lord, he is saying that you belong to me. You cannot be lost from me. Death cannot separate you from me. In Christ, in that confession of knowing him, You have conquered the grave. Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. See, Jesus is saying in John chapter 5 the same thing that he's telling us in Matthew 16, that those who are his but confessing him as Lord have moved from judgment to life, have moved out of facing the sting and penalty of death to the hope of resurrection. Jesus is saying right here that your confession of Jesus as Lord 
is all that is required of God to be saved from your sins. Because in confessing Jesus as Lord, you are united to him. You are united to his life and to his resurrection. And it is because of that that those who confess Jesus as Lord know that they don't only belong to him relationally, don't only belong to him by God's grace, but are certain to belong to him for all time. Your salvation is guaranteed simply by confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. Finally, there's there's a fourth feature that lets us know that we belong to Christ by our confession. And that is, in our confession, we know that we belong to Christ because it is being reformed. Now, I do not mean reformed in terms of the uh, particular theological camp. I mean reformed in the, in the small r sense, which is to say that we are constantly being Uh, adjusted and refined and brought closer to the truth. We are reforming ourselves to be more accurately patterned off the heavenly standard. And that is what we see in verses 20 to 23, where after this wonderful moment of declaring Peter as the, the, the first to confess Christ and the rock of the church, we now see Jesus turn and describe the passion that he is going to be going to Jerusalem where he is going to be uh, injured and killed and resurrected. And Peter, the apostle, is so shocked at this news that he comes alongside Jesus and he rebukes his Lord. He says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus looks at Peter, who he just called the rock. And he says these words, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What what has happened here? How has Peter gone from, from rock to stumbling stone, from blessed to a Satan? What we realize is that Peter is coming to Jesus after hearing this this news that he is going to be tortured and killed and raised again. He is coming to to Jesus because he has been so filled with the idea that that the Christ is never going to die. The Christ is never going to suffer. The Christ brings in the kingdom of righteousness by a a, a great victory, not by a, a death. And so when he hears that his Lord is going to die, his, his knee-jerk response based on how he, is, he has learned about the Messiah is to say, never, you can't do that. You see, Peter is misinformed. Jesus came not to be a conqueror, but to be a substitute, a sacrifice for the sins of his people. He is going to Jerusalem to be put upon a cross, the righteous one to die in the place of the unrighteous. Jesus is saving us by dying for us. But Peter doesn't understand that. Peter can't make sense of that. 
And so we see Peter in this event. He, he is clearly right that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus upholds that statement. But Peter is wrong about what being the Christ means. Jesus says, you are setting your mind on the things of man, not on the things of God. And so in Jesus' rebuke, he is beginning the process of reforming Peter's understanding of the Christ from what he has been learned, uh, taught uh, in, his, in his upbringing to understanding that the Christ must suffer first. His thinking about what it means to confess Christ is being reformed. We must recognize that a true confession, a confession that lets us know that we belong to him, is a confession that is always being reformed. It is always being developed and made more accurate and renewed in knowing Jesus better. One of my concerns about the confession that I hear from some people is that their relationship with Jesus hasn't changed in a decade or two decades. Their confession of faith is the same understanding, the same uh, conception of Jesus that they, they heard at Vacation Bible School or that they heard at Young Life Camp. That there has been no development, no enrichment, no reform of their understanding of, of who Jesus is through decades of confessing him. When we recognize that Jesus is a, a, a person that we are related to, what would that be if we were to say that about our spouse? My understanding of, of my wife or the understanding of my husband has not reformed at all in the two decades I've been married to that person. Well, that's not much of a relationship. But what we see in, in, in Peter's being rebuked is that a confession of Jesus is Lord is one that is constantly being reformed, constantly being patterned better after knowing Jesus as he is revealed in the Scriptures. In the last letter that Peter wrote to uh, the church, he begins it with this verse, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter, is, his last letter is to say, I want your knowledge of Jesus our Lord to be growing and multiplied and increasing. You see, a, a person who confesses Jesus as Lord knows that they belong to him because Jesus' lordship is made new and fresh day after day. What it means that he is my Savior and my Lord is something that gets bigger the more I walk with him. The understanding of his lordship over my life becomes more saturated the more I recognize who he truly is. And so a confession reveals, itse- reveals that you belong to Jesus because it is a confession that continues to live and grow and reform itself. Beloved, is your confession reforming? Is it deepening? Is it growing? Is it becoming more complete? A confession lets us know we belong to him. 
because it lives. So, how does our confession make us know we belong to Christ? We know we belong to Christ because it is relational, because it is God-given, because it is guaranteed, and because it is being reformed. Beloved, who do you say that he is? Have you confessed you are the Christ? Paul's words in Romans 10, verse 9, tell us this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no ambiguity there. You will be saved. Beloved, as we live in a time where, where things are confusing and things are not as they are usually, dwell upon your confession. Dwell upon the fact that you belong to Christ. Go deep into knowing him more. You belong to Christ, and he will never leave you or forsake you. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon from River Community Church. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana, whose purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org.